Anno Amagium, Episode 9, Pops. Haste Matthews, Jove Day, Libra 26th, 23.44 AA, 7.38 PM, Arroyo Athenaeum, East Cafeteria. Haste walked out of the cafeteria alongside Raydan, a kind fourth year who had just saved his ass. Over dinner, Raydan had heard him complaining to another first year, Avishal, that he could not afford an elective textbook on the principles of intermediate bindings. Fortunately, Raydan had a book that would serve Hase's purposes and was happy to loan it to him while they ate. Bronte was already asking their cohort extra credit questions about second-year curriculum and other off-text material. Hase could hear the sneering teacher's voice in his head. It never hurts to read ahead. Hence, extra credit? Asshole. I'm headed back to the dorm. You want to come with? Raydan asked. Thanks, but I think I need to take a walk, get some air. My head feels like it's going to pop. I know that feeling. Have you seen the view from the cafeteria's eastern balcony yet? Worth a look. I'll check it out. Thanks, Hayes said, giving a polite salute. Take it easy, newbie. Raydan laughed. Hayes grinned and waved goodbye. He yawned, reached for the sky, and stretched toes to fingertips. His joints popped, his muscles ached. Thank God I prepared. He had trained hard for assessments and kept up his personal regimen until enrollment. He was pleased to find out that his attempt to replicate their fitness program was almost dead on the money. He had worked harder on his own, but working out smarter had its own challenges. Most of the instructors masters and proctors alike, had all kinds of advice that improved his technique at the cost of taxing muscle groups he was unaccustomed to using. Dopamine chased the cartoonist stretch up the length of his body, blossoming in his head. It eased the stress somewhat, but he still felt fuzzy. Won't be able to study or sleep like this. He decided to take Raydan's advice, and walked the perimeter of the cafeteria to the eastern side, facing the arroyo between the West Ridge and Central Terraces. It was still a bit light out, but the view took his breath away. The buildings of the Central Terrace, which housed the city's major business and shopping districts, glowed against the setting sun. A tiny, stunning skyline. West Ridge reached out to Central with thirteen rib-like bridges, each unique. Some threaded through, or carved atop strands of the city's enormous petrified briar. In their shadow... The banks of the arroyo gleamed with the lights of wealthy homes peeking through the trees. I can't afford this view. Not yet, anyway. He was trying to act like he belonged. He tried to avoid or evade questions about his family or his circumstances, and most of the kids were decent about it. He guessed Cyphera was in a similar situation, and neither of them brought it up, which seemed to suit them both fine. He knew his roommate, Glem, could tell he was a halfie with no money no father and a cracked mother from the moment they met. But he didn't care, and he was one step beneath Valmont in terms of Arroyo royalty. His father was an enormously influential Medithurge, and his mother was a successful Asphalus attorney. Glem could read him like a book, and he was cool. But there were others who seemed desperate to judge him. Hayes was distracted from his meditations when he heard a sorely familiar scene playing out. Muffled grunts, faint insults obscured by labored breathing, and thumps of flesh on flesh. That is the sound of somebody getting their shit kicked in. He started humming loudly to announce himself, 
and when the scuffle didn't stop, he sighed and descended the stairs to the patio beneath the balcony. To his surprise, he found his roommate, Glem Grayson Hughes, pinned to a wall by an older boy with the third year's insignia on his training uniform, and Dret, a member of his cohort looking on with twisted satisfaction. Fuck him up, Corton, Dret urged. The hell is this? Hayes said, loudly enough to snag Jarrett's attention. Not your business, Matthews, Jarrett said. Yeah? Pity I'm nosy, Hayes said, then spoke up, emanating directly at Corton. Let him go. Corton turned to look at Hayes, still holding Glem by the collar. Jarrett gaped, unable to believe somebody would dare oppose an upperclassman. I've faced trolls before, alone, unarmed. Corton scoffed, seemingly amused. You got a death wish first year? Corton asked. Hayes took his time replying. Dredd was the butt of every joke in the first year's cohort. Dumb, weak, weird, nothing exceptional athletically, and a prime example of somebody who paid their way into the ivory tower. Rumor was his parents were paying over 100000 in tuition. Threat level? Zero. But Hayes had to consider Corton for a second. He was a big guy, built like a tackle ball backer. That meant reach, speed, and strength. But judging from the blows he was using to beat on Glem, he telegraphed his moves pretty hard and used his weird to power up his punches rather than as extra hands, projectiles, or anything else requiring an ounce of creativity. So, same as a troll, I can work with this. Just a conscience and some common decency, Hayes said at last. Then be decent enough to fuck off, Corton said and punched Glem in the stomach again. What did he do? Hayes demanded. Jurette sneered and said, Faggot hit on me in the showers, offered to give my weird a massage in front of everyone. Gotcha, Hayes said slowly, nodded his head, and then pointed at Corton. I take it, He's your insecure boyfriend, then? Jurette's jaw dropped. Corton did a double-take. Hayes continued. Because otherwise, I really don't see how this is remotely his problem. All humor vanished from Corton's face. He flung Glem against the wall. What the fuck did you say? Fuck you, Matthews, Jurette added. Hayes, drop it, Glem pleaded through a fat lip. Shut up, faggot, Corton said and kicked Glem in the shoulder. Do that again, Hayes said, weird swelling with menace. And I promise you'll regret it. Corton sneered and pulled back his foot. Hayes flashed forward. He jumped low off the ground and propelled himself forward with a powerful burst of sorcery. It was a new trick that Fitzgerald taught him and Cyphera during their first private sparring lesson. The sudden movement startled Jurette, and he backed away before a belated attempt to catch Hayes. Corton panicked and tried to redirect his kick at Hayes. Sloppy. Hayes planted his feet on the ground just in time to catch Corton's ankle. Hayes yanked him off balance and thrust a palm into his chest. Before Corton could fall over on his own, Hayes fired a sorceress pulse from his open palm directly into the older boy's body. Hayes didn't go all out, only used about a third of his total potential output but that was enough to make something in Corton's chest pop. The older boy let off a choked cry. Jurette had regained his footing and came at Hayes from behind. Hayes turned and launched an elbow into his jaw, probably not hard enough to break it, 
but he wasn't being particularly careful either. The blow sent him to the ground hard. Knowing Dredd he'll give up or run away, no magic necessary. Now, back to you, Corton. Sure enough, the upperclassman was trying to stand up for another assault. Hayes made a disgusted noise and kicked him in his solar plexus. Corton collapsed and released a sharp yelp as he gasped for air against his broken rib. Listen good, fuckwits, Hayes said, emanating vitriol. Your Glem Hughes privileges have been permanently revoked. Get me? Starting now. Ending never. We are going to walk away. And you are going to lie there till we're gone. Hayes's weird simmered with righteous fury. It felt good at first. But then, a familiar tingling sensation shot through his entire weird, leaving its energy effervescent. Oh no, not now. Please not now. It was the onset of an acratic seizure. In seconds, he would be propelled out of reality and into a pocket dimension. This isn't right. My last seizure was just four days ago. It shouldn't be happening again this soon. His heart rate sped up, and his weird became too diffuse to control. He turned to Glem and tried to tell him to run. Half a second too late. 7.46 p.m. Pocket Dimension Entered via Arroyo Athenaeum. Hayes's thinning weird violently recondensed, launching him out of reality and into the veil. The dimensional membrane was thick that night, an ocean of ambient elemental energy, stray thoughts, and faint Feyan magic. He floundered for a couple seconds, like a whale had spat him out deep underwater. Then there was a popping sensation, and he reemerged on another plane of physical existence. Not the fade, just a pocket dimension. His body was dry, but his weird was chilled and heavy with metaphysical dampness. It felt like the erdic equivalent of a fever sweat. Hayes stood on a stone platform in the middle of a hollow sphere, enclosed on all sides by a swirling purple and indigo sky with tiny motes of light resembling stars. I need to find the exit and get the hell out of here. God knows what they'll do to Glenn while I'm gone. Three slow claps sounded behind him. Hayes whirled to find a tall sun elf advancing from the far rim of the platform. Hayes drew back his head in contempt. Of course, of course you would do this to me now, of all times. Hurt me by hurting others. The elf had Hayes's facial features, though his ears were sharper and longer, and his hair was lighter than Hayes's, closer to flame than blood. Green veins coiled around the immaculately corded muscles of his bare arms and chest, like stylized ivy. He wore a pair of laminated leather boots and trousers, though his usual assortment of blades was absent. His pupilless eyes glowed a brilliant blue, like a summer glare reflected by clear ocean water, the same shade as Hayes's. Well fought, my son, see old Don Creed declared. You certainly showed those bigots what for. This is not the time, Hayes snarled. Let me go before those two beat the shit out of him. Come now, make some time for dear old dad. You've known that boy for what, a few days? Let me go, Hayes demanded, storming toward his father. Hayes felt an intense swell of power, a shifting in the realm, and halted his advance. Faye didn't have weirds, at least not in the strict sense. 
They themselves were magic, sentient extensions of the Fade. Their relative strength was based on their standing in their seasonal court, and how much influence it held over a given. Fortunately, summer was slipping to autumn in Arishia, and since they were in a random pocket dimension, Seol was much weaker than he would be if they met in the Fade. But he's still damn powerful. He waved his hand, as if wiping the grime away from a window, and the top of the swirling sky abruptly cleared to provide Haste with a close-over-the-shoulder view of Glem and Corton. No sign of Jurette. Glem was kneeling over Corton, who was trying to shove him away. Get off of me! Stop moving! Glem said, his voice calm but firm despite his fat lip. You have a badly broken rib. Keep thrashing and it could puncture your lung. Fear flashed in Corton's eyes, and he stilled, wincing with every shuddering breath. How the hell could you know that? My father taught me how to detect and assess injuries with sorcery. I also know enough metathurgy to properly set that bone with a contract, if you will let me. Fuck you! Glem snapped. No, fuck you, man! I'm trying to help! A break like that? You've got two choices. Let me set the bone and walk into the infirmary yourself with whatever excuse you want, or stay there and try to explain away the situation to whoever finds us. Because I'm not leaving until I know you're out of danger. Corton stared at him, disbelieving. Hayes stared with contempt. But he was also confused. You're seriously trying to help the guy who was beating you senseless just a minute earlier? I don't need help from a faggot, Corton said. Really? Because from where I'm at, it doesn't seem like you've got a lot of options. And make no mistake, I am gay. I like boys and I'm not going to deny it. But last I checked... It's not contagious. I wasn't trying to hit on Jurette earlier, and I'm definitely not hitting on your homophobe ass now. Corton's lip curled as he seemed to wrestle with himself. Finally, he lowered his hand from the right side of his ribs and emanated acquiescence at Glem. Glem came closer and held his hands a few inches away from Corton's chest. This is probably gonna hurt, like, a lot. You may want to bite your sleeve or something. Corton grudgingly raised his left arm and bit down on his sleeve. Glem closed his eyes and formed a triangle shape with the tips of his fingers. There was a pulse of violet light, and Corton growled with muffled anguish. Glem raised both hands and backed away like he was dealing with an ill-socialized dog. Take it slow. You should be able to get to the infirmary without re-injuring it. They'll be able to wrap it and assess if you need more treatment but you're going to be out of action for a while. Corton stood up, wincing, though his breathing was noticeably less strained. He hung around for a couple seconds with his hand pressed to his chest, unsure of what to say. He settled on, Tell anybody about this, and you are dead. Understand? They will arrest me for what I will do to you. Glem opened his mouth to say something, but clearly reconsidered his words before speaking. As long as you leave haste out of it, I'm happy to forget this ever happened. But if you try to throw blame, I'll make damn sure everybody on campus hears the full story. And I imagine a first year fed me my own asshole is a bad look. Corton glowered at Glem and finally turned to walk away. Glem flipped him off with both hands as soon as his back was turned. Then he slumped against the wall Corton had pinned him against and massaged his temples. The sky in the pocket dimension clouded over again, ending the scene.
See? Seal asked, smug. All's well that ends well. Haste launched a wild, sorcery-assisted haymaker at his father's jaw. The split second his knuckles made contact, he fired an urdic pulse, like the one he'd used to break Corton's rib. But this time, he unleashed the full might of his weird. Seol's head exploded into a plume of fey dust. Haste followed up with a roundhouse into his seemingly decapitated torso, staggering him. He attempted to finish with a spinning back kick, launching his heel toward his father's solar plexus. But even though the she's head had yet to finish reconstituting, Seol deftly sidestepped the stabbing kick and yanked Haste by the ankle, hyperextended his leg. No! With terrible, remorseless grace, Seol drove an elbow into his son's hip, dislodging the femoral head from its joint with a violent, wet pop. The pain was so intense, Haste didn't even feel himself hit the floor when his father released him. He screamed. Well struck, Seol said, massaging his jaw as his head finished reforming. But I didn't summon you here on a whim, boy, and I don't have the time for our usual games. Haste barely heard him, blinded by hate and agony. Seol continued. You've done well to enroll in the Athenaeum. It will provide an early education and training suitable for one of your stature. But three years hence, you will be able to answer Summer's sacred call. And you are needed. Go to hell, Haste shouted. I'd rather die before joining any of the Fae, and I'd sooner swear myself to winter out of spite than serve you. Seol sighed heavily, dropping his mask of glibness for the barest moment. You want to save Sivia, correct? At the mention of his mother, Hayes immediately tried to rise on his good leg and started gathering his weird to attack. His father backed away, holding his palms out in retreat. Peace, Hayes. Please. I apologize. Hayes's lip curled, but he stayed his hand. Seal continued. Your city, your entire reality is in danger and my kind is near powerless to stop what threatens it. Our wills are fettered by the old laws. But you, as a Misrash, you think I'm going to buy into some chosen one bedtime story? You destroyed my mother's mind! Haste shouted, voice cracking. Seol fell silent and bowed his head. Haste continued. But I will save her! Everything else can wait until I've repaired the damage you've done! Seol stared at him. He looked genuinely wounded. But Fay were peerless actors and deceivers, despite their compulsion to speak only truth. Seol spoke again, chastened. Let me help you. I can provide funds for her treatment, boons, tutors. Haste scoffed, a plan developing in his head. Choke on it! Fay are cancer! Gifts are how you spread! Your dust in my blood has cost me enough already. If you loved me or my mother, you would... Seol stepped forward and said sharply, I do love you. And Sivia. Haste launched himself at his father with the same sorceress technique he used on Corton, compensating for his useless leg with sorcery. It had to look real, so he went all out with the strike. But the attack was telegraphed, and without both legs to push off the ground, it was much slower. Seol stepped out of the way with trivial effort, and Haste fell on the ground in a painful heap. Time to start crying. 
Haste roared frustration, then wailed. He was genuinely furious and frustrated, and he wasn't making any kind of coherent statement, so he wasn't technically lying. Technically. He beat the floor with his fist and lowered his head to his other arm. How dare you! You aren't a father! You're a goddamn revenant! You show up when it suits you! Your legacy haunts us! You're... Hase allowed his voice to trail off, lost to sobs. After a moment of weeping, Seol knelt before him and extended a hand. Too obvious. Hase swatted it away, struggling to stand on his one good leg and deliberately falling again. His father tried to assist him again, and he still protested, weakly this time. Not yet. Finally, Seol gathered Hase into a hug against his bare chest. Now. There was a messy squelch, and Seol's lower body went slack. He looked down at his son's murderous, triumphant expression. Hase was still learning how to do kinetic blades. They weren't even part of the curriculum yet, but he managed to work out the basics with Cyphera, and from their meager self-practice, they had learned that it was damn difficult to focus your weird into a fine edge, especially without some momentum to assist. Together, they had mastered one fairly simple cantrip, however. Mid-embrace, Hayes traced his father's bare back with his right hand, feeling out the gaps in his vertebrae, and then, with the most intense focus he had ever achieved, he created a kinetic razor along the edge of his fingertips, and jabbed it into the base of his father's spine. As Seol lost control of his legs, bewildered, Haste drew back his left hand, forming a sorcerous spear with his fingers, then thrust his forearm beneath his father's ribcage at a sharp angle. Then he spread his fingers apart, causing the spear point to spread like a fan. Chromatic dust flooded from the wound. That has to be worth a quarter year at least. Fay naturally healed from minor injuries in minutes to seconds, based on their relative eminence in that realm. Consequently, they didn't die as easily as most humans. Even when their bodies were broken, they would eventually reincarnate, depending on how savagely they had been dispatched. But that arrangement suits me just fine. I can hurt you over and over again, forever. I can kill you until the day I die myself. Every time, Haste snarled. Do you hear me, Seol? This is how it will end every time you come for me. His father laughed, coughing up another gout of dust. He started to say something else, but Haste embraced him roughly, driving his fist deeper into his body. Then he fired another shock wave of kinetic energy radiating from his hand. His father burst into a fine mist of fey dust. Haste tried to gasp to take a breath before the dust erupted, but timed it wrong, and ended up inhaling a good deal of the iridescent powder. Well, next couple hours should be interesting. He briefly considered waiting out the high in the pocket dimension, but these hellish little bubbles get less and less stable as time goes on, and I don't want to be caught by something else with a ruined leg. He searched for a soft spot, an area of the pocket dimension where the walls of the veil were thin, and found it, very near the spot he had first punched his father. With a deep breath and a burst of will, he ejected himself back into reality. 7.52 p.m. Arroyo Athenaeum, East Cafeteria And what the fuck happened to you? Glem demanded, 
Acratic seizure, Hayes said, limping to the nearest wall to support himself. Obviously, Glem said, rolling his eyes. I meant your leg. Hayes was surprised that Glem was completely calm about his sudden disappearance and subsequent reemergence a few yards away. Most people knew about acrasia, or thought they knew about acrasia, just like everyone knew about amnesia. Finding it in fiction was inevitable. It was mysterious and evocative, good material for bad writing. But in Hayes's experience, when most people were confronted with an actual acratic seizure, they tended to freak out a bit. Earth to roommate? Glem said, exasperated. Hayes blinked, paying attention again, but confused. Glem slapped his thigh. Your leg, dumbass! I think it's broken, or dislocated, maybe, Hayes said slowly. I'm going to avoid telling him the cause as long as possible. Glem walked over and took Hayes under the shoulder, gently lowering him to the ground. When Hayes was comfortably stretched out, Glem examined his leg, prodding it with his weird. Yeah, dislocated. You ever dealt with one of these before? Not yet, Hayes said, grimacing. Bite your sleeve and try to relax, but hold yourself as still as possible. Hayes complied. Deep breath, Glem said. On three? Hayes nodded, then shrieked into his sleeve when Glem popped his leg back into its socket without warning. The world went white, each heartbeat radiated brutal pain in his hip. He bit harder into the light blue fabric of his aspirant robes and took several heavy breaths through his nose before releasing it. Son of a bitch! he hissed. Yeah, not fun, Glem agreed. He waited for haste to finish wincing, then asked, Can you tell me how this happened? Haste tisked and looked away. Glem grinned. See, you strike me as the reckless showboating type which means you lack attention, but you hate being embarrassed. So I'm hoping that if you say what you did out loud and it sounds dumb enough, you won't do it again. This part of your treatment plan? An ounce of prevention, motherfucker, Glem said. Hayes laughed. All right, no more dodging, so no time like the present, I guess. My father did it. Holy shit, like your father, father, in the fade? It was a pocket dimension, and better to call him the man who made me a bastard than father, Hayes said, smirking. But I gave as good as I got, and better. Yeah, you, uh, you seem to like fighting, apparently, Glem said, voice filled with concern. Hayes shot him a reproachful look. Glem returned his expression and said, What? You're telling me you just jumped in against two dudes to defend the roommate you just met? I mean, you seem cool enough, Hayes said, suddenly feeling embarrassed. Besides, those guys were beating the shit out of you. Glem shrugged and opened his mouth, but Hayes cut him off. Why the hell did you help Corton with his rib? Glem backed away, bug-eyed. How did you know that? That's not an acrasiac thing, is it? I've never heard of... It's a long story. I'll tell you after you tell me why you helped the guy who was trying to kill you. Glem gave him an exasperated stare. He's a piece of shit, but he's still people, man. If it was just a cracked rib, I might have run away. But that thing was ready to pop his lung. That's not schoolyard shit. That's a life-altering injury. And beating somebody bloody because they're gay is schoolyard shit? 
Glem looked away to consider it, then immediately looked back and nodded. Yes, yes it is. That doesn't mean you should have to put up with it. In a perfect world, Glem sighed. But like, I'm not a fighter, right? You've seen me spar. My weird isn't that strong, but it's versatile, insightful. Besides, if I don't give them the satisfaction of fighting back, you think they'll get bored, give up? Hayes snorted. The only people who spout that shit are people who've never dealt with an actual bully in their lives. They won't stop, Glem agreed. But they will get bored faster on a case-by-case basis. The words chipped Hayes's heart. Fuck that. He didn't know how to answer, so he sat next to Glem in silence for a long moment. Finally, he found the words. All right, you're right. I like to fight. Doesn't take much of an excuse. But when I have a reason, I can't help myself. You were trying to help Dredd when you offered to massage his weird. I remember he was complaining about headaches after sorcery practice. You were being a good person. And it's not like you deserve to be beaten even if you were hitting on him. Yeah, I may have been, uh, testing the waters with Jurette, Glem admitted, scratching his nose. Wow, really? You can do so much better, Hayes said. Yeah, I know that now, Glem agreed testily. But you were saying? You were being reasonable, and he attacked you for it, and he convinced that Dick had to beat on you as well all because he's afraid people would think he was gay. Yeah, that sums up the situation, Glem said. But who do you think did better at convincing them to fuck off permanently tonight? I embarrassed the fuck out of him. You said yourself. Showboats hate being embarrassed, yes, and you're a showboat. But he's a bully, and bullies live for embarrassment because it gives them a reason to be angry. It justifies their shit in their own mind. The only way you can beat a bully is by humbling them, by demonstrating that they need you as a fellow human being. Haste nodded in consideration and then in approval. Do you think you would have had the chance if I didn't break that asshole's rib first? Glem smiled. No, and I appreciate it. At the time, it was terrifying, but very satisfying to look back on. I'm not sure how much you saw, but I did make sure he wouldn't drag your name into this. I saw, Hayes said eagerly. He was about to explain when he realized that that would mean detailing his relationship with his father. Talking around it would require too many technical truths and uncomfortable silences. Have something to share with the class, Matthews? Glem asked, imitating Master Steinbeck's nasal drone. Hayes laughed, then took a deep breath. Then the bell rang, calling all first through third years back to their dorms for lights out. It would be a walk to make it back to the boys' dorm on the west side of campus. We should probably get going, Hayes said. Uh-uh. No save by the bell shit here. Rest that leg a little. Nobody will care if we're five minutes late. It's gonna take longer than five minutes, Hayes said, standing up. Glem rolled his eyes and stood as well. Then talk while you walk. Finish in our room if you have to. The two of them made their way back to the boys' dorm. The heart of campus was a multi-terraced park shaped in a wide ring around the elevated student center. I kill my father every time I meet him. Okay, Glem said, nodding. That's some heavy shit, but continue. My dad, when he got my mom pregnant, or while she was in the fade with him, it cracked her. 
like she's slowly losing control of her weird. And it's gotten bad enough that it's messing with her mind. The doctors tell me and my aunt that it's going to get worse, that she might only have ten years left. Glem nodded again, remaining quiet this time. So, yeah, I hate my father and everything he stands for. Occasionally he'll summon me, try to act like this is some fun little game or innocent reunion. But I literally try to kill him every time I meet him. And these days, I pull it off more than I don't. He fights back, I take it, Glem said. Hayes took a deep breath. Not always. Usually he just toys with me or evades until he makes a mistake. Today he was trying to bait me into something, though. I only know what happened with Corton because he showed me. Any fae can look through the veil at will, but they have to be exceptionally powerful to cross over. They reached the middle of campus, the enormous student center. One of Hayes's favorite features of the student center was that the park technically continued beneath it. Broad ramps ran under the building, leading to an open-air underground quad with a diameter of about a hundred feet. Over or under? Hayes asked. Is that some kind of gay joke? Glem asked, seriously. Fuck you, man, Hayes said, cracking up. Glem laughed with him, and they continued onward. The chamber was dimly lit by the entryways during the day, and luminescent tiles absorbed ambient solar energy, providing a baseline of visibility throughout the night. The lighting was impressive, but Hayes was more taken with the reverse waterfall fountain that coated the chamber's domed walls and ceiling. The rush of enchanted, gravity-defying water perpetually shrouded the chamber in soft noise. Best place for book study on campus, no question. They paused near the middle of the quad, adorned with another fountain. So, yeah, that's my story, Hayes said. I'm sorry, Glem said. It's kind of a sad one, Hayes shrugged. He hated people who tried to use their hardships to compete for sympathy. I mean, it's just so stupid. He giggled. The dust was making him dizzy, blurring motion with psychedelic afterimages and turning the white noise of the chamber into pleasant but indistinct music. He took a seat at one of the study tables. I got a lungful of dust when I killed him tonight. It's kind of messing with my head. Oh, shit. What kind of fay is your father? Hayes waved him off, giggling again. He's summer court royalty, a sun elf. I'll be fine. Glem's eyes grew huge. You'll be high off your nuts. Shit. Let's get back to the dorm. Quick. 8.12 p.m. Arroyo Athenaeum. Boys' dorm. Ash. They hustled inside, Hayes giggling like an idiot, and Glem bowing apologetically at the proctor taking attendance. Fortunately, fey dust didn't have a distinct aroma. It smelled different to everyone. But the proctor probably knew something was up and decided it wasn't worth pursuing. They hit the showers, brushed their teeth, and went to bed. Hayes looked at the ceiling. His leg was going to feel like hell tomorrow. But his heart was warm. I think I did good tonight. And I think I'm going to do it again. Without looking at Glem, he said. I've decided, if people try to kick your ass, they have to go through me first. Oh, good. Mr. Dusthead is my sworn protector. Hayes giggled again. The dust was still playing merry hell with... everything. 
Yeah, I knock him down and you patch us all up after. I fight him, you humble him. Glem laughed. Let's call that plan B, okay? Like, we'll both be dead inside a month. Seriously, I'm black, gay, and nerdy. People have no shortage of things to kick my ass over. Like, no offense, man, but you're half fey. You know how it is. Hayes frowned. Glem nodded emphatically at his expression and said, It's like that. Not your fault, but people are going to be down on you for it no matter what. There's a difference. Hayes nearly slurred. Oh? He paused for a long moment, trying to think through the haze of the dust. Then it came to him. His anger, his convictions, the bane of my fucking existence. He launched into a slurred, half-whispered rant. It isn't bigotry to mistrust us. It's common sense. Fae are evil. They have enough power to solve all the world's problems. And yet, what do they do? They watch. Haste got angrier with each word. They hide behind their conveniently mysterious laws, exploit desperate people, and ruin lives for sport. They seduce children. Glem opened his mouth and then closed it. I don't know about any of that, Glem conceded, but I know you're one of the good guys. Hayes felt himself blush. Glem smirked and raised an eyebrow. You like girls, Hayes? He thought of Cyphera, faster than a knee-jerk, longer than he could blink it away. Uh, yeah, Hayes said, blushing hotter and looking away. When he looked back, Glem was giving him an odd smile. It wasn't unkind. If anything, it was very warm. But there was something else there. Wistfulness? Smugness? Usually Hayes was better at reading people, but the damn dust was making everything funny. Yeah, I kind of guessed from the way you, uh, hang around Cyphera, Glem said. I don't... Hayes gagged as he felt his half-fay compulsion warning him. It filled his head with a sensation like a joint being bent against itself, straining to the breaking point. With enough will, he could lie, he could deny it, but it would hurt like hell and injure his weird. He sighed. Glem laughed. Do you think she knows? Hayes asked pathetically. Glem snorted. You think I know what girls are thinking when I can't figure out boys? Not my priority, man. Fair enough. Anyway, we should get some shut-eye. If you get up to pee, drink at least a half glass of water. Dust will dehydrate you. Hayes cracked up. What? Glem asked, offended. Are you ever not a doctor? 24 7, 365, and damn proud of it. Yeah, Hayes said. That's cool. Then why are you laughing? Hayes cracked up again. Glem continued to bait him. If it's cool, the fuck are you laughing for? Answer me. Hayes laughed until somebody pounded on the adjacent wall and shouted a muffled but drawn out, Shut up! They put on embarrassed faces. Then they both started laughing and there was no stopping them at that point. They laughed until they were breathless, laughed when the fifth-year proctor gave them detention for disrupting sleep, and periodically cracked up throughout the rest of the night. Anno Amagium Written by Hank Whitson Narrated by Dan Lawson